A reading from Genesis chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he was seated at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men stood before him. And when he saw them, he ran from the door to meet them, and he bowed himself down to the earth, and he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and then you may pass on, for you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. And so Abraham ran quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of flour, knead it, make cakes. He ran to the herd, took a calf, good and choice, took it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then he laid before them the curds and the milk and the calf that had been prepared. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. And they said, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said to Abraham, surely I will return to you this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the door of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with her, and so Sarah laughed to herself and said, when I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I now have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I indeed have a son? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh because she was afraid. But he said, no, but you did laugh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I started at seminary at Regent College in Vancouver, uh, Monica and I were very young. Uh, we were newly married and we were very broke. And we were living, sleeping on the couch of my cousins at the University of British Columbia. I really felt like, wow, I'm providing for my new family. We realized pretty quickly that Monica had to get a job to be able to put me through grad school. And so, of course, I went to it. And I'm like beating the bushes. And I'm like, we got to make this happen. And we got to make it happen this week because we want to eat this week. And Monica, as many of you know, Monica, not surprisingly, approached it with a much more prayerful attitude. She said, well, I, I, the Lord knows our need and we need to go look around, but he's ultimately going to provide for us. And we're walking through Regent College, my seminary, one day in this period, and she looks at the office the front office, you know, the receptionary, and she says, I really want to work there. And there was no job posting, so my response was, that's very interesting. Really, I wanted to say, why are we even talking about this? And she said, well, I really think the Lord's impressing on my heart that I think 
he wants me to work there. I think I should work at the college and, you know, work there. And I said, again, I got nothing. Uh, there's no job posting. Why are we even talking about this? And so this became a great conflict for us over a couple weeks. She just kept saying, I really think the Lord's going to provide something there. And I kept saying, there's not, no job posting over there. Like, what are you talking about? My anxiety rose. You want to hear the end of the story? You have to wait to the end of the sermon. <laughs> How did Abraham learn to trust God? How did Abraham learn to trust God. That's what we've been asking in this series on Abraham. This is the third week of four. Next week's the last sermon on this Abraham series. And we've been asking, how does Abraham learn to trust God? Abraham had a life of big ups and big downs, and yet through it, by the end of his life, you could say, as the book of Hebrews says, that he is a man of faith. And that faith grew through ups and downs, that faith grew. How did he grow his faith? How did he learn to trust the Lord? Especially in the face of impossible promises. I mean, impossible promises. It's interesting, by the time we got to chapter 18, and that's where I am today, chapter 18 of Genesis, now we finally got the name change. Remember those first couple weeks? It's Abram, it's not Abraham, it's Abram, which means exalted father. And then he gets a name change in chapter 17. In chapter 17, the Lord says to him in verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, father exalted, but you shall be called Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. For... I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. He's got a new name. This promise is being reasserted. I'm going to give you not just a child, but I'm going to give you a multitude of offspring. And yet the story up to this point has continued to say, but that's impossible. This promise is impossible. We don't really know what to do with impossibility. In the face of God. I know, you know, we're supposed to trust God and say, you know, it's not a closed universe, but it's an open universe. God can do what he wants, but it's hard, isn't it? It's hard at times to live into that reality that, as, as God says in verse 14 of our text, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard from the Lord? And, and, and you know the Sunday school answer is, uh, no, no, nothing's too hard from the Lord. You, you got that down, right? But just because you've got the right answer doesn't mean that it's not difficult to live into that. I mean, actually believing that the Lord will do these impossible things, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's, it's a hard place to be. I mean, look at the life of Abraham and Sarah. Back at the very beginning of the story, the story hasn't even begun yet. In chapter 11, verse 30, this incredible story about this, this couple that's going to you know, be the parents of a multitude. Chapter 11, verse 30, Sarai was barren, she had no child. That's where the story begins. Last week in Genesis 15, Abraham um, reiterates his concern with this great promise, where he says in verse 2, he says, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. It's, it's not happening. In chapter 16, verse 1, we read, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. I mean, it's like the Genesis story just keeps hitting it again and again and again. There's this promise, and there ain't anything happening. It's impossible. It's impossible. 
My kids, as some of you know, my eldest three are in a play that's closing this weekend. It closes right now, actually, just this afternoon. And Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll's story. And the kids are a delight, and they love it, and they love it way too much. And I'm seeing far too much of my gene pool in this, and I'm very worried um, because they're really good. And I know where this goes. Uh, so pray for me. But no, in all seriousness, we're very excited. And, and Annabelle uh, plays in the show, she plays the Duchess. And there's this great line that I'd love to make a t-shirt out of. There's a great line she has as the Duchess about impossibilities. She says, why sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. I mean, it's a, it's a great line, isn't it? We all go, yeah, we can make t-shirts and, and we can put on our bumper stickers and make internet memes. It's great. But then try and live into that reality, right? I mean, it is a struggle. It's a struggle to believe the Lord will do some of the things he's promised in our lives. It's a struggle to trust the Lord. And if you feel like you sometimes struggle with your faith, you're not alone. If you feel like you sometimes struggle with your faith, Genesis 18 is the chapter for you. In Genesis 18, we see God speak to us through this story three things about when we struggle with our faith. Three things. Here's what Genesis 18 tells us. Struggling with your faith is common. Struggling with your faith is covenantal. And struggling with your faith is ultimately corrective. It's common, it's covenantal, and it is corrective. First, it's common. Struggling with your faith is something that everybody, if they're honest, goes through. Everybody struggles with their faith. It is common. Anyone who says they don't is lying. We struggle. It's like Sarah at the end of the text. You know, I didn't say that. I'm fearful to admit it. No, you did laugh. It's a common experience for us to struggle with our faith. And here's my point in this text. Here's what we see here. Even people who really love God struggle with their faith. Even people who are really obedient to God struggle with their faith. Even people who really want to serve the Lord struggle with their faith. We see this in Abraham in this passage. This opening section where he greets the Lord and shows him this incredible hospitality. It is a window into Abraham's love and obedience and devotion to the Lord. This man clearly, as chapter 18 begins, clearly loves the Lord. There is no question he loves him. And yet even as this man who loves the Lord, Abraham still struggles with his faith. Do you hear that? Even if you love the Lord, even if you're obedient, even if you're seeking faithfulness, you will still struggle with your faith. It is common. Look at this with me. Verse 2. The three men appear to him. Three men. And it turns out that the Lord is among them. Uh, there's the Lord, and then there's these two companions who later in the story are going to go off uh, to do a little biz bit of business down in Sodom and Gomorrah. You can read about that in the next few chapters. If you've never read that story... Don't read it to your kids tonight at bedtime. Um, but that's what happens in the next couple chapters. The Lord is there. The Lord is in the midst of them. He, and he says in verse 3, he says, Oh, Lord. And your Bible may put that in lowercase Lord, like a human Lord. But that's not a good translation. It's the word Adonai. 
It's a word that's used to describe the name of God. Verse 3 and then in verse 10 when it says the Lord, Yahweh speaks, it's clearly that Abraham knows the Lord God has somehow appeared to him in this moment. He's right there in front of his tent. The Lord is here. What's Abraham's response? Hospitality. He, an eager hospitality and a comprehensive hospitality and a hospitality that just overflows. Look what he does. Verse four and five shows just how comprehensive Abraham's hospitality is for the Lord. Um, he, I mean, it's so comprehensive. The Lord is going to get the whole weekend spa treatment here. Um, it says in verse four and five that he says, bring some water so I can wash your feet. You can rest under the tree. I'm going to bring you bread, a morsel of bread, so you can refresh yourself. That's what Abraham is providing, all the needs for these strangers who come to him, the Lord. Verses 6 and 7 then talks about the speed and the urgency of his service. I mean, his love comes out even in the urgency. In verses 6 and 7, three times we run into the word quickly. Quickly he goes in the tent. He says to Sarah, quick, get the fine flour, make cakes. He runs to the herd and he gets the calf and says to the young man, prepare it quickly. There's an urgency in this and we're supposed to see a loving urgency he really wants to do this well and then when finally he brings the meal out in verse 8 it's curds and milk and calf and by the way back in verse 6 we're talking about those three sias of flour and your bible probably puts a note in the bottom that says a sia is two quarts He's saying to her, take six quarts of fine flour and make cakes that's not a small number of cakes is it it's a huge royal feast that he lays before the Lord. And then he stands back, verse 8 says, and he stands under the tree and he watches them eat. I mean, he's like a maitre d' just standing there saying, whatever you need. And, and what we're supposed to see in this is just how much Abraham loves the Lord. The hospitality that comes out of him is a demonstration of his love and devotion and service to the Lord. Abraham clearly loves the Lord. And so as one who is clearly in this passage struggling with his faith, this struggle is happening for one who loves the Lord. Struggling with our faith is a common experience even for those who deeply love the Lord. You hear that? But also, it's not just that struggling with our faith is common, it's also covenantal, or what I mean by that is it's underneath the covenant. You struggle with your faith, and you're still under the covenant. What I mean by this is you are not going to, in your struggling with the faith, break your relationship with God. It's not as if when you're struggling with your faith that God finally says, okay, that's a deal breaker, right? Oh, oh, you're unfaithful again. You're struggling again. Um, I'm, I, I think that's it. I, I'm kind of done with you. No, that's not how it works with God. God has made a covenant with us. God has made a promise, a promise that is not going to be broken. Look at the structure of this text. I love it. Um, in verse 10, in this little doubting, laughing section, what happens? Well, in verse 10, we read that the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. He's restating this impossible promise, right? That's what he does in verse 10. Here's the promise again. And then what happens? Well, verses 11 uh, and following have the Sarah laughing moment. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She's, she's laughing at it because she's saying, 
I'm sorry, this promise is kind of laughable. I mean, seriously, seriously, seriously. Have you seen how old my husband is? This is laughable. The Lord states the promise and then verse, in verse 10 and then verse 11 and 12, she laughs at just the incredulity of this. And so what does the Lord do in verse 14? We're kind of waiting for it. We're thinking, oh man, Sarah laughed. Do you know what I expect verse 14 to be? I expect it to be that God comes down to her and says, how dare you? How dare you question me? How dare you quiver in your faith? Do you have no faith? I mean, come on, what's wrong with you? You know, I'm done with you, Sarah. You and your little faith, I'm done with you. That's what we'd expect in some ways, right? But we're readers of the gospel. Instead, verse 14, what does the Lord do? He doesn't say, I'm done with you. He restates the promise again. Why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. See, God's response to her laughing, God's response to her quivering faith, God's response to her questioning and struggling is to restate the promise again. In other words, do you hear this? Her struggling with the faith has not put her outside of the covenant. No, she is under the covenant. God has made a promise to her, and even if she is unfaithful, he will be faithful. Even if Abraham is unfaithful, God will be faithful. And by the way, just in case you think that it's only Sarah that laughs, back in chapter 17, verse 17, Abraham laughed too. 17, verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. I mean, what kind of laughter is falling on your face laughter? I mean, I've gone to some comedians, you know, live shows, and I've like fallen out of my seats, but he fell on his face laughing, right? Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Abraham and Sarah are both laughing at this. They're both struggling. They're both seeing the incredulity of this promise. But God does not say as a result of their struggle, well, I guess I'm done with you. Now, remember last week we looked at Genesis 15. God made a covenant with Abram. And he laid out, Abram laid out those animal carcasses. And it's an ancient Near Eastern covenant ceremony where what God is saying with with both parties in that covenant, that contract ceremony would say as they walk between the pieces, if I break my contract, so may I be like these dead carcasses along the way here. I mean, it's a horrible image. And yet what happens in that story we saw last week? God immobilizes Abram so he's not able to walk among the pieces. And God shows up in that scene and he alone walks between the carcasses. And what he's saying in that is if I, God, do not live up to my side of the bargain, may I be killed. And if you, Abram, do not live up to your side of the bargain, may I, the Lord, be killed. And that's precisely what happened in the cross of Christ Jesus. We were unfaithful. We were not consistent. We were not the best and brightest. God didn't come down and say, I'm going to find the real faithful one. So he found you and me. And he said, I love you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And when you are unfaithful, guess what? I will bear the consequence of your unfaithfulness. And he does it in Jesus on the cross. That is a picture of God's unrelenting love, his covenantal love. It's interesting, you know, you think of a story 
from the Gospels, right, um, about this idea. I, I know sometimes we struggle with this because we think, and, and there's place in the, in the Gospels you can read where it sounds like, um, you know, there was lack of faith in that moment, and it says, therefore, Jesus, because they had no faith, he could perform no miracles. And you think, okay, so maybe that means that, you know, if we're really unfaithful, then you know, we're kind of outside of God's grace. And, but that's not what those passages are about. That's a great misunderstanding. You see, in those moments when people are not faithful in the Gospels, and it says Jesus, you know, did not perform any miracles, the reason is Jesus is there to build faith. He's there to build disciples. His job is to say, I want you to grow in faith. And, there, and there's just nothing happening here. But he's not saying, please hear this, he's not saying that God is like a vending machine and you take your faith coins and you put your coins in and say, oh, if I put enough faith in God, then I get out what I want. And yet, isn't that how we often treat God? Right? Oh, Lord, if I could just get enough courage and enough faith this week, then maybe you'll give me what I need. And that's not how God works. I mean, remember that story when they're in that boat and there's a storm and Jesus is sleeping in the boat? And the disciples wake him up and they're petrified. They say, do you not care, Lord, that we're perishing? What does Jesus do? He gets up and he says, where's your faith? Right? Quite clearly, they're struggling with their faith in that moment. What does Jesus get up? There's a sea storm and he gets up and says, oh, no faith. Well, why don't you just drown already? I'm done with you, you and your lack of faith. Asking me to do something again and you don't believe. So why don't you just drown this time? No, that's not what he does. He calms the sea storm and he calls them again to faith. You see, friends, this is the way that God treats us in our struggling. It does not take us out of the covenant. He wants to build faith. He wants to grow faith in us, but his covenant remains. Here's the promise. Sarah laughs. So he restates the promise again. Your struggling with faith is not just common, but it's under the covenant. But finally, it's corrective. Our struggling with faith is not just common or covenantal, it is corrective. It teaches us and it grows us. And I love this in verse 15, that, that awkward moment at the end when Sarah lies to the Lord, I did not laugh. It literally says she lied and said I did not laugh because she was afraid. And the Lord says, uh, no, but you did laugh. And kind of like we linger there. Wow, that's kind of an awkward ending. And what God is doing in that moment is he's using her struggling in faith, her struggling with faith, as a corrective moment. He's going to grow Sarah and Abraham through this, this laughing experience, this struggling of faith experience. He's going to grow them. He's going to use it as a corrective experience in their lives. He's going to make sure they remember this moment. Do you remember? He's just saying, Sarah, let's just, let's just mark this in your personal faith journey. Remember the moment when you and Abraham both laughed at this promise. Just remember, make sure you remember it because I'm going to grow you through that. Because what happens a few chapters later in chapter 21? Well, the promise is fulfilled. Isaac gets born. It, it happens. The impossible becomes possible. Isaac is born. The son of promise happens and they stand back amazed, but they have not forgotten. Here's my point. They have not forgotten that there was a season where they really struggled with their faith. They've not forgotten it. It has been etched in their mind. They memorialized that season where they struggled because they said, God has used that struggling moment to grow me. And do you know why we know that? Because in chapter 21, they named the child Isaac. And you say, well, what's the big deal? What does Isaac mean? Laughter. That's what Isaac's name means. It means laughter. 
They name the child after that moment of struggle. They name the child of promise after their failure. Remember back when we totally were laughing at God? Well, let's name the child laughter and we'll never forget that. We'll never forget every time, hey, Isaac. And they look at each other like, remember, we never thought this was gonna happen. The laughter, they put it on his name. They put it, his very name is this moment where they remember their struggle. And I, I love this because I look back in my life And there are so many moments when I can look back and say, look how much I struggled there. I struggled to believe, and yet I see the Lord's faithfulness over time. And I look back and say, thank God that I was able to learn and be corrected and grow because of that experience. Which brings me back to being at seminary and sleeping on my cousin's couch at University of British Columbia with my new bride and we're broke and we need her to get a job and she is determined that the Lord is putting on her heart that she's going to be working at this office at Regent College. There is no job posting and I'm just like, this is impossible. This is laughable. This is ridiculous. And two weeks later, a job posting came up in the office and I got really quiet And she applied for the job, and she got the job, and I got really, really quiet. And I felt like the Lord was saying, yes, you did laugh. And all of a sudden, we could afford to go to grad school. And because she was on staff, I got a free class every semester because she was on staff. And because she was on staff, she got a free class every semester, so we got to study together. And because she was on staff, we got to eat lunch together over four years every day in the staff lounge and grow our marriage. And I look back on that moment, and Monica and I look back on that moment again and again in our lives when another struggle comes, when another moment of really struggling with our faith, and we'll say, remember the office job at Regent's. We didn't name a kid after that, but still, the whole point is, remember the office job at Regent. It was a corrective moment in our life of faith. That struggling time actually has grown us. Where are you today? Are you struggling with your faith? Are you struggling to believe? Hear from Genesis 18, it's common. Everybody goes through it. Even people who really, really love the Lord struggle. And remember also that you're struggling. If you're struggling today, it is covenantal. There's nothing that you can do in that struggling that will ultimately separate you from the love of God. You may sin, you're called to repent, you repent, you return to the Lord. I mean, many times as we celebrate Holy Communion, people will say, I just don't feel like I can go up to the table today. Why? Because I'm struggling. This table is about struggling. He was faithful when we were not. Come as struggling people and receive again the gospel. Even when you are totally faithless, he is faithful. Come to this covenant meal. But if you're struggling today, remember also that it's ultimately corrective. It's hard to see it right now where you're sitting. But as you continue to press forward in this life of faith, you will see in time how the Lord can even use this season of struggle ultimately to grow you, to correct you, to form you more faith. How did Abraham learn to trust God? He had a big life, ups and downs. He struggled with his faith, but God was faithful. 
Come today to this table. Come with your struggles. Come with your brokenness. Come with your weariness and your heavy ladenness and watch him be faithful and receive you, give you rest, and again speak the gospel over you. You may be faithless at times. He is faithful. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.